0: Movie sequels aren't always evil, sometimes they're good Let's talk about it, we'll dig around it, and find just why you should Give it a try, give it a buy, give it a review from one to five Let's find Tron came out in 1982 and is rated PG. It spawned one sequel, Tron Legacy, in 2010 and is also rated PG. I'm Josh Bilbs and with me today is my guest, Jonathan Nicholson. Hey, what's up? And today we're going to discuss which film of the two Tron films is the best and which one is, is not. And the answer might just surprise you. All right. If anyone is new to the podcast, first, welcome. Second of all, we're going to run through both films in the Tron series, and we're going to definitively tell you which one is the best and which one is worth watching over the other one. And how we're going to do that is rank them on a set of four categories, put those categories out of 10, and whichever movie has the better score out of 40, that's the one you should add to your Blu-ray collection. All right. So the categories we're going to do are story, characters, Art direction and action. And as we always do, um I like to have my guests pick the series. So Mr. Jonathan Nicholson, as an esteemed musician and electronic musician yourself, what made you want to pick these Tron films? Alright, yeah. So I in like late middle school, early high school, I was a huge Daft Punk fan. <laughs> and they did the score for Tron Legacy. And so there was a lot of press and hype around the movie, pretty much solely because they (laughs) They did did. that soundtrack. Mm -hmm. They did that score. Um, So that was really one of the main reasons why I wanted to go see Legacy in the first place. I didn't have a personal connection with Tron before that. Uh, Daft Punk was kind of my gateway into that. So before I went and saw the film in theaters, uh, I watched, I borrowed the original DVD um, from a friend, watched it at home, so I kind of have an idea of what was going on, and then went and saw the Legacy and was just absolutely blown away. Uh, it's really one of my, like, favorite films of all time. I wouldn't say number one, but it's definitely in my top ten. Uh, and so, and it's one of those, it's, it's interesting because it's not necessarily a direct sequel. It's almost like a reboot. Exactly, that's how I feel. Um, So... I think there's some interesting things we can talk about with it, so I'm excited to, to get rolling. Me too. Um, my personal connection is kind of... Uh, my personal connection is in the eighth grade, I was dating this girl named Olivia. Shouts out Olivia if you're listening to this podcast. She does not know who I am. Anyway, um, we were going to a church lock-in on New Year's Eve, and I needed a poppin' outfit. And so I went to Hot Topic. And I bought this huge Darth Vader belt buckle of the mask. It was beautiful. And I bought this shirt. Right. I'd never seen this movie or anything, but I bought this shirt that said Tron in big letters and had the poster with the guy holding the disc, and uh-huh. it glowed in the dark. And let me tell you, oh, cool. I thought I was the most fly-looking guy at that <laughs> church lock in. And I then, like, a few months later, I saw the movie and watched it, and I was like, okay. I was still in like the eighth grade, so, so I wasn't you watched the, film the, guy. First the first one. first one. The first one, one. Yeah. Because okay. I was like, oh man, I had that shirt and wore it to that lock in. Me and that girl broke up like a week later, but that's beside the point. So that's my only real connection, is just that really. But I hadn't even seen Legacy until we did this episode, but I remember all the press for it. I mean, Disney was blowing that thing up all the time. We used to play Light Bike yeah. in middle school, me and yeah, you on our game phones. On the phone. Yes. Um, I mean, I think they were really trying to make a franchise mm-hmm. out of it. Um, they made a show this, later. They did. I don't think just the first movie didn't make like a ton of money. It really had, like, a cult following, and this second film uh, is similar. Made decent amount of money, but not a ton for Disney, yeah. not by their standards. Um, same deal with the show. It didn't really get a lot of viewership. I think they really tried to make it into something bigger. They wanted to make it to, like, their next big... Franchise, um, and do but like, it just, more sequels. But it, yeah, and it just didn't pan out. They left it open to do that, I predict. I think. I think they did too. And I think that another reason that I think it's good we're on the podcast, I had to mention this, um, or I would, if I didn't mention this, I would be kicking myself. Jonathan and I made a movie in the second grade <laughs> about cars. <laughs> we did. Oh, <laughs> called Life in the Fast Lane. And I was I afraid would, you were going to bring that I up. And I would put clips in this, but we used so much music that's very copyrighted. Because it was Pat Paul McCartney, uh, but let me tell you, it was basically Speed Racer, but we drove cars along the ground like Hot Wheels. <laughs> oh man, cars! Yeah, we thought we were gonna like we thought we were gonna be the next <laughs> Speed Racer movie. <laughs> we or... thought we could get the rights to all that music for this movie. It was. Uh, we didn't even know what that was. We were in like fifth grade. I do not know. Oh, like yeah. we didn't think about. All the scenes were filmed behind my, my mom's mom van. It, but... it was. It was bad. Man. Okay, so we're gonna get into Tron. Opening. What's your just opening thoughts about this movie as a whole before we get into the categories? The the first Tron. First Tron. It's rough. (laughs) It is so rough. It it is it's rough and it's I don't know. I almost want to say it's not necessary to watch to enjoy the second film to enjoy Legacy. I would I would kind of agree. There's some Easter eggs I really love. Yes. Callbacks. I mean I think it's rewarding if you watch both, but the first one is just rough. And it's even. I think it's rough, even by eighty. Standards. The eighty standards. Yes, exactly. I I would a hundred percent agree. I think I know for a fact. I had to get up a couple times and just kind of take a break to finish this movie mm-hmm. because it. The the thing this movie does, which we'll get into in the story, but the thing it does that bugs me to death is that they'll be doing something or they'll be explaining how something works. And then they'll say, oh, and by the way, there's this thing I can do that does this one quick little thing. And they never mention it again. There's like 700 things that go on in this movie, and only two of them matter. Yep. Like, there's a whole scene where they're like riding in this big, uh, like, a, like a ship along this wire. And they look down, and there's these green bugs that are really cool looking and have some really cool 3D effects. And they go, hey, don't let the bugs get you or you'll die. And that's it. They don't mention them again. Yep. They just go off. They do that constantly. You can tell the person that made this movie... Was very artistic, but did not know how to write a script. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Okay, so now we're going to talk about these characters. These <laughs> semi hollow characters. Oh, my word. Yeah, there's not really a whole lot of depth. You've got my. There's not really a whole lot of depth in either Tron movie, but there is to some extent. We'll, I guess we'll touch on that later. Yeah. Um, so, I think one important thing to realize. When you're watching the first Tron, um, is that like there's the humans, and they're considered like the users? There's a lot of computer lingo Mm -hmm. in this, which I don't think made a sense to a lot of people in the '80s. I think that's why because personal computing wasn't really a thing when this movie was released. They were trying to make it like like an arcade aesthetic, but they used like lingo they used in my coding classes in like college. Yeah, so I think that went over a lot of people, and I think that's what makes the first Tron kind of difficult to get into. Um, So yeah, so there's the humans in the human world, which are called like the users. You know, they're the computer users. And then there's programs in the computer world. And so the users write their own programs. Mm -hmm. um, You know, because back then there wasn't like the internet or there wasn't, you know, there wasn't like inner device communication like there is now. So... They would write their own programs, and those programs would have the same likeness as the user. And this is important for when we get to the story later. But so, like, so the so we're talking about the characters. Kevin Flynn is our main character, uh, played by Jeff Bridges. Oh yes. Mr. Jeff, glorious Jeff Bridges, glorious Jeff Bridges, who acts like Han Solo the entire movie. He literally is that character. The people yeah. that I'll mention this several times. The people that wrote this movie, man, they love Star Wars. They think it is the greatest thing ever put cinema. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think there's some there's some direct influence there oh my for gosh, sure. We'll get to that. So Jeff Bridges playing Kevin Flynn. He also he he's made a program called Clue. And so that mm-hmm. program in the computer is played by Jeff Bridges mm-hmm. as well. We have uh, Alan Bradley, and that's one of Flynn's best friends at Incom. He's a user. He's a human, and then he he wrote a security program mm-hmm. called Tron. Called Tron, exactly. And so Tron in the computer world is played by, by Al- the same it character. It looks like him. Yes, he's trying to save the users because he's a security system. Yes, essentially. Um, Laura. 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 Laura is kind of like the love interest of Alan Bradley's character. <laughs> everybody. Yeah. She, had, I guess she had a thing with Flynn at some point time before romantic the moments movie. Together. Um, yeah. She's kind of, I guess just like the tension point in For the, the film. Yeah. Uh, and, and she is represented as a program in the computer world. You know, just one of the main things just to understand is like, Because sometimes that line is kind of hard to to tell. It's like, well, these actors are all playing. Mm -hmm. They're all in the same roles, but they are different characters. The thing that made it hard for me to tell at first, because I had not seen this movie in years, is that while in the art direction I'll talk about how much I appreciate the fact that it's a monochromatic color scheme for all the characters. So that way you can see their lights. I think that's very clever. But it's kind of hard to tell who's who... When everybody looks the exact same as far as color, yeah, you have to it's, look. At it's hard structure. to sometimes tell the difference between Tron and, and uh, Jeff Bridges. Yes, exactly. It's really hard. You have to you have Kevin to wait for Kevin Jeff Lynch. Bridges to talk and make a Han Solo line, and you're like, it's Jeff Bridges. Yeah. It and then we've got Crom and Ram. Yeah, and those are kind of just allies, the, ally programs in the computer, the C three PO and R two D two of this movie. Yeah. And uh, and they really just throw away sidekicks. But they try to make characters. They try to make Ram have a climactic death sequence you're supposed to care about. And I could not care less that his character died. Like it's no. it's so dumb. It's so dramatic. Like he's sitting there and he's like Get, uh, Flynn. <clears throat> he's like coffin and he's like, "You gotta save the users." And then he's like, and then he's like, "No." And like this, the the music's playing and I'm just like, "This is not. I don't care about this character." Like, mm-hmm. kill Tron. Like, almost make him die and then I'll care. Or yeah. Laura, but not Ram or whatever. Then yeah, Krom, they were just throw then Krom away. Then dies and nothing happens with them. You're just Characters. Like, yeah. So, and then our next, and I think last important character is Ed Dillinger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he's the CEO of Incom. And Incom is kind of like the Microsoft or Apple. Yeah. In, in this cinematic They make games, world. too, and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, they... They're developing programs and games, and they have contracts with the Pentagon mm-hmm. and military and and things. And so, but Dillinger is a he's like the senior executive vice president. He even has like the M-Comb. big evil office, yeah, overlooking the whole city, overlooking everything. I mean, the movie's very. I will say this. Well, we'll get into it but I think that the use of the whole scenery is really nice Yeah, even in the first part like I think the part in the human world I really like but when we get in the game I lose a little bit of interest yeah I think it's more interesting visually in the mm-hmm. human world the fir- in the first part because all the architecture is so good mhm um and then the master and so computer. yeah so, so Dillinger is represented in the computer world as two programs Sark mhm and then the Master Control Program. Yes. So the Master Control Program is kind of like the senior executive vice president of the computer world. He's the head honcho in the computer Easter world. Darth Vader. He is the overlord. <laughs> yes. Um, and so in that Master Control Program is kind of... He's artificial intelligence, and he's going rogue, um, and he's, he's like sucking up... Program's abilities for himself. He's trying to become the, the ultimate. Yeah, he's the, trying to become like the top program. He says he's like fourteen hundred times more efficient than a human at doing all this stuff. Yeah, like I mean, he at one point it said like the uh, the MCP mm-hmm, for short. Master you know, Master Control, Control Program. is getting so intelligent. It's targeting the Pentagon's and the Kremlin's computer programs, um, but. So, the main tension point in this film... So, Dillinger thinks that the MCP is starting to get too big for his britches um, and wants to dial it back, but the MCP has become so powerful, powerful and advanced that it threatens to publish the truth about about Dillinger, about Dillinger and Flynn. Which is that Flynn made the game called Space, Space, Paranoids. Space Paranoids. He made this game... And Dillinger took credit for it, uh, and that's and stole the computer program and stole the names and everything, and yeah. then fired Flynn. Yeah, well, yeah. So Dillinger got those programs, took credit for him, and that kind of led his rise to power. Power in in COM, and so Flynn is trying to get into the computer to. Get that data back and information mm-hmm. back, and he still had access to everything until he banned level seven access. Yeah, which everybody had, including Alan, who made Tron, and Laura had the access, so he kind of banned everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. The I mean, the the plot is like way too convoluted <laughs> to talk about in a short form podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so just just watch it or don't. We'll, talk, we'll <laughs> yeah, take and, our and, word for and it. Before we continue, there will be spoilers in both sides of this. Podcast. Oh heck yeah, heavy spoilers. Um, so, so yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're just whatever. Like the, I mean, not that they're bad, but the best character is probably Jeff Bridges. He's got some fun lines. He's got some, the dialogue's pretty good. Like the dialogue between the human characters is nice, but once you get in the game world and everybody's talking like this and, oh, we forgot to talk about what's his name. He's in it for a little trapezoid body. What's his name? Starts with the letter D. He's the gatekeeper or something. Oh, oh, yeah! Uh, g- goodness, he looks like a turtle. He really does. <laughs> he's, it was a uh, Dumont. Dumont. I thought it was Dupont or something. <laughs> Dumont. Dumont. So his human and like the human world is Walter Gibbs, mm-hmm. and he was like the founder of Incom, and he gets a and a, he's he like, gets fired in a scene with Dillinger. He gets fired because he he voices his concerns about the MCP and thinks that Incom, and basically thinks that Incom is not being run the way. It should be. And Dillinger's just paranoid at this point. He just fires everybody to get him out so he can handle it. Yeah. And DuPont... So, uh, so yeah, so du- DuMont is in the... He's in the computer world. Um, but he... I don't know. He's kind of like the Yoda. <laughs> I'm telling make, you. I'm telling you. If you're going to make the Star Wars connection, t- he's the Yoda. Can you not tell me that everything in this movie is just Star Wars? The shots of the ships, they look like they're out of Star Wars. I think they were trying to go for that aesthetic. The TIE Fighters. (laughs) Yeah, they're, yeah. The MCP literally comes into people's, like, offices and talks like a hologram and force chokes them. Like, he makes them, like, spaz out through his powers. Yeah, because he has direct (laughs) access to their code and everything. It's Yeah, it's a little crazy. And then there's a guy at the beginning whose name I cannot remember that talks like this, and I can't remember his name. It could be anybody. Yeah, could be which anybody. Is the thing. Yeah. So so yeah. So the, I think the characters in the first Tron are pretty one sided. Not a lot of depth. I, really, they the whole movie, in my opinion, serves as a vehicle for the effects for mm-hmm. the world building. When we get to our Direction, man, we'll talk about that a lot, and that'll be a that'll be a yeah. section. I'll be smiling. But. So I think that about covers the. the, the yeah. The main what would you give characters? the characters out of ten? Like, what's your out of ten for the characters? <laughs> Lord. Uh... There's not too many to care about. I, like a four. I, I said a five. I said a five, so I that means... Probably we'll do a four. Yeah, because there's just nothing to get... excited. Like, they're not memorable. The only memorable one is Jeff Bridges' character because he's acting like every character in an 80s movie, which is the smart-off, what's going on here? I don't know. I'm going to make a witty comment. He's playing every Kurt Russell role in this movie. Yeah. He's playing Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China. He's playing Han Solo. He's just... I'm gonna say some witty dialogue, which is good dialogue, but it's just it's whatever. Yeah, 4.5 for the characters. Good. So let's get into the let's get into the story. Um, okay. The story of Tron. I don't fully understand it. Like, so the plot is basically given in like the first five minutes in a very convoluted way. Yes, it, it is. It starts out. You think it would start out if 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 you've watched it? You think it would start out? In the human world. But it actually starts out in the computer yeah. world. Um, so, first I think you have to understand that in Tron, is you know, there's the, there's humans, which are considered users, like computer users. There's the programs. And then there's programs. And the programs are in the computer world. Um, and the programs have the same likeness as their human. So the actor or actress that plays um, the user in the human world mm-hmm. also plays that program in the computer world. Which, um, I think that makes it kind of so... Who the villain is is so obvious. Because it's obviously... Dillinger. Dillinger. It's Dillinger is the villain, and he's also Sark, and it's completely obvious. Like, yes. I saw Dillinger in the office talking, about, talking to that one employee about how we're going to take control and all this stuff. And then it pans to the world and then the master controller is talking to Sark and it's the same face as Dylan. Yeah. And And I I was like, there's the mystery. And they're trying to show, they're trying to get, um, they're trying to show that parallelism Mm -hmm. that, you know, so, you know, there's the humans and the users and the programs and they have the same likeness. It's a little on the Um, nose for how I like my storytelling, but I get it. It is, but it's, there's a lot of kind of (laughs) cliches, Uh, gracious. Okay. So now we're going to go on to the story, which is also one-dimensional. Yeah. I mean, if you had a hard time trying to <laughs> keep track of the characters in the human world and in the computer world, wait the till story... til they add random bits of detail that aren't going to matter every yeah. ten minutes. So we touched on it for a bit. You know, The Master Control Program is trying to ma- uh, maliciously take other written programs' powers abilities, and mm-hmm. data sets. And make him take over the world, like kind of like HAL 9000, 2001, Space Odyssey. Yeah. Same situation. So if the MCP thinks that you're a useful program and will make him more powerful, he he'll take you. your punct- functions, and if you're not, he sends you to the game grid mm-hmm. to be wiped out. Which the game grid is arguably the most memorable part of the movie. Yes, that is what makes Tron... It made it marketable Tron, as well. In my opinion, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. When they made games like... You know, light bike and the Tron games and things. And so, but these games are are pretty much rigged. I mean, if you if you go to the game grid, you're pretty much expected. You're gonna be. You're gonna terminate. The rezed. The yeah. resolution. You're gonna. You're you're gonna die. Is, in the the, is the in 1982? Is the average day person gonna know what resolution means? They're not gonna know what half the words <laughs> mean. I think it makes. I think it. Well, we both kind of have a computer background, but I think it's a lot more approachable now. This computer was made for nerdy people before nerdy people existed. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, but the game grid is, is is cool. The light the light bike section's really neat. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of a cool vehicle. It, it not to to harp on this movie too much but it kind of takes a it it does a thing where it it takes you away from the boring story to show you something exciting for 20 yeah it definitely is I think the The ring fight the ring toss fights are cool yeah ring game or disc game the the disc game the disc game game, because it's playing with their identity discs those Mm -hmm. are definitely the cool parts yes of the film bouncing around and hitting the ground when uh, Flynn has to fight uh, Krom yeah in the the game he tries to save his life and then the uh, Sark is like, no, and hits the button, and then just dies. Yeah. So, the the main thing about the story in Tron, and also one of the things that kind of parallels in Tron Legacy, is really this idea of, like, it's almost religious, in a way. Mm-hmm. There's, like, this religious undertone um, between, you know, the creator and created. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the user and the programs. And so, in the movie, uh, Jeff Bridges' character gets sucked into the computer unknowingly. I like, I like how that happened. I will say that yeah. that was creative. Mm-hmm. There's a laser that somebody... they, they like a digitizer. Digitizer. And it digitizes him, sucks him into the computer. He happens to be sitting right in front of it, and the MCP takes over the area and aims the laser at him and shoots him. That's yeah. clever. That would happen. It's not too far-fetched. I like it. Because it just has an orange earlier and stuff. Yeah, it, yeah, it wouldn't be too far out in the cinematic world. No, it would be way exactly. far out if here. No, but yeah, in the cinematic world, no, in yeah, no they, way they, is it far they out. introduced it, so it does. It makes sense. Hey. Yeah. Um, so, so he, so, but when he goes into the computer, he goes in as a user. So he has different attributes and things that go with him. Yeah, so he has this almost godlike, deity like qualities. Mm-hmm. That the Compared to everybody else, don't yes. It's almost it's a lot like which this movie came after. It's a lot like the Jordan Peele film Us in the fact that there's people on the surface that control the people underneath them, and they don't. If someone from the surface mm-hmm. goes to mm-hmm. underneath, it's obvious who's from above because mm-hmm. they have things they can do that the others can't. Yeah, yes, um, and so there's a lot of like user slash program, almost like class warfare. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, so the users create the programs. Programs are independent, but they're loyal to they're their the, creators. Mm-hmm. So they can't go out of the boundaries, but they can still think. Yeah. And so the, the MCP believes that, that he is better than the users, mm-hmm. that he knows more um, with his artificial intelligence and all of the stuff he's sucking up, um, and so that he has better intentions than the users. Um, so in the game grid, programs who profess their belief and loyalty to the users... Uh, have to play in the game. Because they're... Uh, Which are rigged, and yeah. they'll eventually die. But if they renounce their loyalty and belief in the users... They're added to the hierarchy. They're added to the hierarchy of the MCP. If that's not a Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego... Uh, I mean, yeah, broke. it's a Allegory. very, like... Religious, uh, you know, do you... So there's, like, this sense of, like... Deny your creator yeah, kind of situation. Uh-huh. And, and so... That's one of the highlights for me of the story is that undertone. The religious undertone is is nice. It's it's not too heavy handed to where it's but it's very, it's very well woven into the story. Mm-hmm. Very well woven in. I think that's a good point. Um, I'm trying to think. Besides the story, just that the like the religious undertone's good, but I feel like they don't do even enough with that. No. It's they don't show anyone go to the hierarchy. They show, like, one person gets sent to the game. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's all, I almost feel like this movie should have been longer. Mm-hmm. But then I don't because I feel like they would have just made it boring, but I wish they would have explained everything. Yeah. Ever. I mean, every. I don't know. Everything, I think, in both movies is really done to serve the effects. Mm-hmm. Which are in the world, I mean, which is really a character in and of itself, but it's like it's not being done for. It's inter- not trying to win an Oscar. No. No, 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 no. it's trying to give <laughs> something cool to look at that people have never seen before. Speaking of winning an Oscar, the first one was disqualified from like the effects category. Was it really? Because they thought using computers was cheating. That is very interesting. So yeah, huh? So, that's that's really that's really weird. There you go. So yeah, the story it, it, it does all that. It ends with you know they make it out obviously. Uh, Flynn. The ending is it so, ends exactly how you think. And it's it a it's end. abrupt. It's such an abrupt ending. Like he comes back and he takes out the MCP. He takes him out. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a Star Wars sequence where the MCP's doing a thing and and Tron's trying to stop him And which the fact that it's named after a character of Tron is, is neat. They could have just mm. called it The Grid or something dumb but the fact the movie's called Tron's Neat and then you've got the MCP's doing all this stuff trying to assimilate everything and Flynn says, I'm going to stop it. And so Flynn jumps off this pillar and gets in the middle of the MCP because Tron keeps trying to break through by throwing the disc repetitively and he's blocking it. And Flynn goes in the middle and stops him from blocking it, and then he throws it in the middle and hits the center of the MCP and takes it out one hit. And then everyone's freed. The next shot is Flynn like coming in and helicopter to his parents and or to his friends and saying, "We did it." And the movie ends. I mean, pretty much, it's. I wanted to see him take over the company. I wanted to see him fire Dillinger. None of that happened. Yeah, I think that would have been a more interesting... Ending! Ending. I think that would have been a more interesting story. I think if there was less time probably spent in the... We're good. It just goes blank sometimes. That's fine. I think if there was less time spent in the computer world, I think it would have been a more interesting Mm -hmm. movie. Because all the parts... are more palpable, easy to understand. Like, in the beginning, it almost feels like a mystery in the human world. Because you're like, you don't really know what's going on. They're trying to get Jeff Bridges to help them. They go to the arcade, which is a really neat scene where they're talking about all the reasons he got fired, and we got to figure out what's going on with Dillinger. Then they go in the computer, they hack into the uh, what's the business name again? MCOM. MCOM. They hack into MCOM and break in, and they're walking around and all these infrastructures and all these pipes that look like a Microsoft screensaver, and they're <laughs> walking through, and then he gets sucked in, and all the interesting stuff's gone. Yeah. Um, what do you give the story out of 10, Jonathan? Oh, my word. Probably another 4. <laughs> I was also going to give it a 4. I mean, it's, it's a little rough. I'm going to give it a 4. I hate to do it to people that hardcore love. Now, here we can talk some good stuff here. We can talk about the art direction. Yeah. It's okay, so... Maybe. <laughs> you got some complaints about that, too? Maybe. The art direction in Tron, I think, is very novel in some cases even better than the second one for some for the time interesting if we, if this oh, category that's a hot take. if this category was called effects it would no way be the first one in no way would it be the first one cuz the second one has so much ingenuity but i think the the color palette which this is the art major talking but the color palette the usage of the monochromatic colors like the fact that one thing i think is super interesting about it is that everyone has grace like they're all grayed out, so everyone's just monochrome. It's just gray skin, gray outfit with accents of lines, and I think that is very interesting because all you see is the lines, just kind of like yeah, how the, the only thing that matters about the characters, is whether they're good or evil. Yeah, and so so like pretty much like the good blue characters are blue, and the bad characters controlled by the MCP are red or orange. Are yeah, and I think that's a very interesting. Color choice, all the, usually every bad associated thing has some kind of red tint to it. I think the fact, and we'll get into this, my biggest complaint about Tron Legacy is it knows two colors. Three colors. It knows dark blue, b- light blue, and orange and yellow. And this movie knows the rainbow. Some things are purple, some things are blue. I think this movie uses every color extremely well, but keeps... The reds and the blues for who's good, who's evil. There's only, like, one scene, though, that has all those colors. There's... Like, when they go into that, like, that's about, like, maybe three-fourths of the way in. Uh, Kevin Flynn is in, like, it's like this weird neon city. Mm-hmm. And that's when, which I don't know what really that served <laughs> in the film, other than just, I guess, as an excuse to have all those oh, colors. colors. Um I mean, really, that was about it, well, and the, that was a good change of pace. It was like because like, it that was something that I caught when I rewatched it because I didn't really remember that mm-hmm. sequence or all those colors. Um, but well, I don't know. Like, I can't. I can't give that too much more yeah, credit. All of the light bikes have different colors, and even like the sequences of them fading into the world and out. I just think that it had a lot of a a good palette, and I will say for the time, even though they don't look great. They don't look... They look dated, but they look like a computer game. Like, they don't look... It's not like when you watch a movie... That's fair. It's not like when you watch a movie from the mid-2000s that has CGI, and then you look now and you say, well, that CGI just looks... Like, you can complain about young Jeff Bridges looking like a PlayStation 3 game in the third one, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get to. Oh, yeah. But in the old one, you can't really say, oh, those graphics look outdated now, because look at Minecraft. Look at some games people play... Where they're literally purposely looking like that style. And Tron is one of the last movies that used effects like that because they were so rudimentary. I think it was one of the... F- I think it was like the first and only. And I think there was yeah. a reason it yeah. was the first and only. I, mean, I think it, it looks a little rough. It, I think it, it, it looks a little mm-hmm. rough. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to take away the technical achievement mm-hmm. that it is. And I think that has to be said and cannot be said enough. I think it's it the reason it, people remember it. It, it. it is. I mean, really, the effects, I think, are the whole reason of the movie the whole point of the movie it's why everything happens for why it does i think it's really it's a technical showcase but it doesn't look like i would say rough but it's not like i'm like it looks ugly like it's just okay it's just tron you know i mean yeah it's 1980 computers it's people with a commodore 64 game it's what it is yeah um so it is it's just very rudimentary um but i don't know it is what it is but it's I think, but as, as, and also talk about the art direction. I'll talk about the, the sound design, which I think using, they had more traditional score music, like your somewhat orchestral score and stuff. And even, it even almost had music that sounded almost like 80s mystery thriller vibes when they're walking through MCOM and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, this mm-hmm. is getting kind of mysterious. And then they go in the, the main world, and it's nothing but sense. It's sense. It's very bleep, blue. Very bleep, blue and very sense, very 80 synth. I mean, there's good 80 synth scores, as I mentioned. Yeah. Killer Clowns has a great 80 synth score. But the one in Tron, this, if they would have kept the orchestral music for the Tron parts, I almost feel like I would have cared more. Even yeah. though it fits it better. Yeah, it's just very just campy and Like, why, not, why and... not use orchestral music and incorporate the sense into it rather than. Just do the sits to make me care about a death, and they're going ah, 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 bleep bloop, and I'm like, Dude, uh, "Yeah, and that's doing? that's pretty much what this." I'm like, "Do you know like? how good '80s music could sound? I like, mean, '80s scores could sound." I, I think something to to just to bring up here. Uh, <laughs> the me? original Blade Runner, yes, came out the same year. Vangelis did the score for Blade Runner. And the score for the Blade score Runner is awesome. Is great. Yes. The, the world building Runner. in that is great. Mm-hmm. I think the visual effects in that are great. Yes. They were done more practically. Not. It wasn't very computer heavy. But as far as I mean, I don't know. Both mm-hmm. movies came out the same year. And like Blade Runner looks a million times better. Blade even, Runner, even Blade, though Blade <laughs> Run- Tron is a great technical <laughs> Blade achievement. Run- Blade Runner is so good, dude. <laughs> so. I don't know. I think that's kind of why I'm just Man, a little bit I wish we were talking about the Blade original. Runner. <laughs> like, you know, I think that, like, why why weren't they just like, hey, Evangelist, I know you're doing some stuff with Blade Runner, but you also did Chariots of Fire. I think that could make him Blade Runner, but that score's fire, and he did the score for that. Uh, I mean, Blade Runner's score is so good, and it's, it's more traditional film score with some computer stuff and 80-cent stuff, and it's really good. You care about those moments. I think that the art direction in this movie is very, it doesn't meld anything together. It keeps the real world parts so separate from the other ones, you can literally see the point it changes. Yeah, and, and that's good. That's yeah, a, in every aspect. Yeah, that's good. I, once again, I think the, the monarch people make it interesting. I think that the fact that everything else is colorful. I like all the gradients used and all the just ships just flying over. The ship design's interesting. Everything's Polygonal, yeah. Everything's all polygons. And, yeah. I mean, yeah. Kind of because it has to be. Yeah, it's all shapes and <laughs> it like, all like, has to be polygons. When, thing, computers when things can do crash, more than that. they don't explode; they just kind of <laughs> crumble. Like when when Jeff Bridges is he's he's in so there's these big machines that look like tie fighters except they have really long legs on them. Uh huh. And he's flying the recognizers. That's what they're called. Okay, he's flying in a recognizer, and he's he's going to where all the people are meeting. And as he's flying. He's hitting some walls. And if you're watching a Mission Impossible film or you're watching any movie with a vehicle and it hits a wall, it'll spell out of control, but it just literally blocks off. You know what I'm talking about? Piece yeah. after piece. Just He hits something and There's like no physics. There's, There's no, no physics in this There's movie. There's no weight. It just... Yeah. <laughs> Everything is weightless in this movie. Yeah, so so what score would you give the art director? The art, the art... I mean... <laughs> you're probably not going to like my answer. I'd give it like... Like a seven and a half, probably. Maybe. It's generous, but it's fair. Maybe a seven and a half. May because it's it's maybe the only thing I like in the old one over the new the, one. Really? Yeah. The better. I okay. think I might. Oh wow. I hot might. Hot take. Hot take. I might be a, compared to my opinion. I might give us I think I'm gonna stick with seven and a half. There's some things I don't That's like. Fine. Stick your guns. I'm gonna stick, stick seven and a half. There's some things I don't like, but there's. I think that some of it the the they. Compromised a little too much on some parts of it, but I think 7.5 is good. So I'm going to go with that. What's your, what's your score? Uh, I would say a 6. You're going I with still, 6. I think it's still positive. It's definitely the positive aspect about the film. And like I said, you can't understate the technical achievement. It was really one of the only films made the way it was. The It was backlit animated. So all of those lines and everything we keep talking about that lit up, that was all hand drawn, yeah. hand-painted on the film card. Which is the neat. It's very neat. Yeah, and it was extremely exhaustive and extremely...
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It didn't really pan out the way it I could think have, it have. I think Sean should've. could have benefited from a little bit more practical effects, like Blade yes. Runner. Um, but, still, a technical achievement for what it was. i still give it a six. There's a reason but people I think remember that movie. Yeah. Now we gotta talk about that. So we gotta talk about the action in this movie. So, now we're gonna talk about the action in Tron. Um, category four. Category four. With what we just talked about in the art direction, I feel like they keep the action pretty consistent, which is to the detriment of any character development this movie could have, which it hasn't. Yeah. But it keeps things moving. And no there's way. more action than there is story. Exactly. Um, like we said earlier, the game grid is definitely the most memorable and story good. part of the film, and it is, it's good. I think it's the highlight of the, of the film, and that's where a lot of the action lies, mm-hmm. is in the light bike races, in the disc battles, um, when Flynn's driving that recognizer, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, kind of like a TIE fighter, as you referred it to, um, a lot of the fir- uh, the thing about the action and which I, I've i off talking about it, but in the light bike scenes, they really used it well because they did the first person perspective. And in light bikes, you got to make the wall in front of somebody and crash them, and you'll be in the like the perspective of Jeff Bridges' character, and the wall will pop up and no will turn, and it's just it's really put you yeah. in the seat. It's yeah. really neat. Yeah, that and that first person sequence is definitely I think one of the computer Highlight. highlights as yes. well. One of the that's I think one of the parts where they used. The technology mm. to as yeah, like a strong point, um, but yeah, the actions the the end fight's pretty interesting where they're trying to stop the master control and he's spinning and Jeff Bridges jumping in and Tron's throwing the discs. I mean the action's good. Mm-hmm. There's not the the action throughout is just them going from place to place. It's them. Uh, there's not, a, there's not a space battle in the first one that's the no, second one there's no. not a space battle in the first one. Oh man that space battle is so good <laughs> anyway um, when they uh, they'll do different things and they'll go from place to place and they'll oh man we gotta do this hey watch out for that hey oh I got this little bomb I didn't tell you guys about it but I had this the whole movie <laughs> throws it does something it's consistent the action's there I mean it's for action It's present, it's there, and it's the part of the movie that's the most engaging. Yeah. It's definitely the part that makes it watchable. I mean, it's really, it's that game grid sequence that really, I think, sells the movie Mm -hmm. and and makes it. um... If the story and the characters were better and they kept everything else the same, this would be a much easier watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The two best parts are the action. What are you thinking for the action? It's kind of short, but there's not much to talk about no, I think it's to, I, I mean, like I said, I've said it probably like four or five times already. The game grid sequences are the highlights of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably give it a six. Okay. I said a seven. I think, I just think that it's the parts that are the most interesting. And I think it's pretty above average on the action. So we'll do six and a half for that. That gives Tron a total score of. So our final score for Tron one. It's a twenty-one point seven five out of forty. That's yeah. Yeah. Um. If you haven't seen it, I'm gonna be honest. It's on Disney Plus. It's on. Yeah, it's on Disney Plus. It's an hour and a half of your life. Yeah, but that you'll probably won't get back. But you'll form your own opinions on. But, so it's but worth it. <laughs> if 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 you listen to what we're saying and you say, guys, I just don't want to watch a bad movie. Go to YouTube and look up the the grid sequences. Yeah, that's true Go, too. look up best Tron moments. Yeah. The characters are not gripping. Like I'm not gonna tell people to look up the stuff about the second one because I think the second one has a good story. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so now that's Tron One. Now we gotta talk about the big boy Tron Legacy, Legacy the thing Disney the thing Disney promoted for what seemed like years. it was such a well, it was a big deal because uh, Tron didn't really blow anybody out of the water, out of the gate, like when it first came out, but it really got that cult following. Mm-hmm. And so a couple years, I was maybe like E3, 2007, 2008. Not E3, um, Comic-Con. For some reason I was like, did they talk about it at E3? Uh, Comic-Con. Comic-Con, yes. Yeah, you know, yes. Uh, 2007, 2008, they released one of the first like teaser trailers, and it blew up. And the 30 people that loved Tron rejoiced. And, they, and then they announced Daft Punk was a part of it. And then, like, Everybody the whole else world was a part of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, truly, that was the whole reason I was even interested in the film uh, was that Daft Punk score, which I'm sure we will probably talk more about oh, later. They, they, but they kill it. I'm, I'm excited to. Let's let's get into it. Let's get into so, it. First, first off, I will say that. we'll, we'll get into it. So we'll start with the characters. Again, like we're flipping the script on this just because Tron is all about understanding the user-program switch. And talking about characters is good to talk about first. Yeah, which interestingly enough, in Legacy, I don't think they play on that as much as they did in the first one. Yeah. There's still the the user and program, like, Mm creator-created thing going on. Uh, But we don't... So much of the time in the film is spent in the computer world that you don't see the program's user, like, analog. mm mm-hmm. um, So, but yeah, so it, so it's good. let's get into these characters. So obviously, uh, we have Jeff Bridges again. He's back. Kevin Flynn. He's back doing two roles, technically. He's doing old Jeff Bridges and young Jeff Bridges. Yes, which yeah. his performance is good as both. I will say that we have Sam, his son. Yes, Sam Flynn, Kevin Flynn's Jeff Bridges character. Yeah, Kevin Flynn is Jeff, Jeff Bridges character. Sam Flynn. You've got uh, Cora, who is sort of Jeff Bridges' quote unquote assistant apprentice. Apprentice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. apprentice. You've got, um, uh, Alan. He's yeah, out. Alan. Alan's Alan back. makes a return. He's. Um, you got Dillinger's son, who's in there for like a second. You've got all the people at the executive meeting. You've got... Who's the the guy that's leading the company? That's the people that are important. You know. And then, once again, with saying that Dillinger's son is in it, you get a lot of good callbacks. Oh, uh, Zeus. Zeus, which... Michael one, Sheen. Michael Sheen does play Zeus. I One thing I will say... Uh, he's one of my character highlights. One thing I will say about, about Zeus is specifically something that this movie has a big advantage of compared to Tron, is Tron said, hey, we're making a space movie. We need to take inspiration from another space movie, Star Wars, right? And so it's very apparent. This movie takes inspiration from a lot of space movies, so you can't say that there's one particular movie it takes stuff from. But it borrows things from other movies that are really good. Like, I don't know if have you seen the film The Fifth Element with Bruce Willis. It's another, it's a space movie. It's, it's like a kooky space adventure kind of movie. And there's characters in it that, like, Zeus feels like he is exactly from that movie. He's quirky, he's off the wall, he's uh-huh. eccentric, he's like a David Bowie type character. Yeah, exactly. He feels exactly. a lot like a character from The Fifth Element. And the characters in The Fifth Element are incredible. So I think that was a good idea to have a, a kooky character that felt different from anything that was even in the first Tron. When Flynn entered the space, oh, everything changed. I've never seen anything quite like it. The awe was palpable. Zeus is a good character. His reveal is really neat. His reveal of, I'll take you to meet Zeus, because I don't want people to know who Zeus yeah, is. He's, he's, first, Zeus. he's first introduced as like a gatekeeper to Zeus. Like mm-hmm. he's like the doorman. Um, and then he he introduces himself as Zeus. To the people that he actually wants to meet and be Zeus with, um, and then we've got what other characters? Is that, is that really all? The, uh, That's Tron, most of the main ones in it. Tron makes an appearance, but you don't see his face. No, he is—he's always masked. You only know it's him because he's got two discs. Yeah, well, so they introduce him. Rensler is Tron. Excuse Josh was giving me a look. He's, he's Rensler is Tron. This. What do you mean, Rensler? So when Rensler is introduced in the the game Grid Arena, okay, I'm picking up what you're putting he, down. He he has the two discs. Okay, he when Rensler is introduced, he is part of the the enemy, the evil side. He's 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 red. He's got the red lines, mm-hmm. um, and he is kind of like. Top agent for Clue. Yes, and so Clue is. Let's see, I think we need to back up a little bit. Okay, I'll say that. Okay. okay. So Rensler is basically like bad, evil Tron. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so Rensler is all red. So it's he like has a name the... change. Yes, so like in. The Avengers, how Hawkeye's Ronin in like in game and Infinity War and stuff. Yeah. kind of changes his demeanor. Oh, yeah. Okay. You, okay. When cha- like when they like when he changes sides, he changes his name. He changes uh, his identity. Okay. That, um, that but makes sense. He isn't the one who cha- changes his identity. He's kind of like reprogrammed, he's repurposed into the Rensler, mm-hmm. uh, which is this basically like super athlete, super agent. <laughs> Uh, Agent Smith from The Matrix, except it's Tron. Yeah, um, and so at the end of the film, he's kind of redeemed and becomes Tron again. He, his lights turn from red to blue. Um, but I think I think that whole thing is kind of shoehorned in because all of the time, to- like I, it's not. I don't think it's very clear. It's very apparent to a lot of people that Rensler and Tron are actually the same character. Yeah, but just on different sides of the 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 war which now that you explain it I kind of I kind of get that more Mm -hmm. and we gotta talk about Clue who is I think that that dynamic makes this movie already just that dynamic alone makes it ten times more interesting than the first one yes so Clue is young Jeff Bridges Mm -hmm. um so you know Jeff Bridges is uh, Kevin Flynn he's a super genius he's super computer super genius He basically works, because now he can have access to the grid, Uh, he can digitize himself, go into the grid, and he's creating, he's trying to create the perfect system, the perfect world. And he did that in the 80s, he made. Yeah, in the 80s he was working on that, so this kind of ties into the story a little bit, but... uh, He's making that perfect system. He can't be there all the time, you know, because he has his son, Kevin, or his son, Sam. Sam. Mm -hmm. He has his son, Sam, so he can't be in the grid all the time. So he creates Clue in his likeness to create and execute the perfect system in the grid. Mm -hmm. But Clue, like the MCP of the first film... Gets a little ahead of himself. Starts to go rogue a little bit. He starts to think... Like, his idea of perfection... Is what an it's arrogant, a little too literal. It's like what an arrogant, young... Jeff Bridges thought perfection was. Yes. Is, yeah, I mean, he's trying to... I mean, Clue is basically trying to create like the master race. The, the master system. The master world. And he wants to be in control and in charge of it. And because in, that's what his programmed idea of perfection is. In that, he's making it exactly like the MCP made it. Yeah. And one thing that's interesting about... Uh, Clue, which is another thing that this movie is good about serving its mythos and kind of not breaking its own rules. Jeff Bridges is in the same world. You find out there's an introduction between Sam and Clue, and he's off. He, he's not excited to see his son. It seems weird. That's yeah. not really uh, Kevin. Kevin is later in the film. Uh-huh. Meet the son has a super emotional reunion. Programs don't age. Users age, programs don't. That's why Clue is young and Jeff Bridges is old, because only the users can age in the grid. Yeah, so I, I think we've pretty much touched the characters. Mm-hmm. Let's give them a score, and let's move on what to do the you, story. What do you think the characters need? Uh, I think, so I gave it a four on the first mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I think the characters don't have a whole lot more development. But I do like... They the, have enough. I like the mix of characters a lot. We'll get into development with, like, Korra and stuff. Uh-huh. Her characters are I, I really like good. the mix of characters and the cast, uh, which is different than characters necessarily, but mm-hmm. I think the cast really plays out their characters. They're better their than the first. One. A lot better than mm-hmm. the first. Yeah. I think I'd give it a six. I also gave it a six. I give the character a six as well. So, so they give it a six... It's story time. What oh, we think story. about the story of Tron, which is Man, it's so much better than the <laughs> It's first. so good. It's a, it makes and I think it it makes more sense than the first. The first one was really hard to mm-hmm. follow. I think this one they show you a lot but don't tell you a lot. Mhm. They really it does. It's more of a show. The they first, show more than the they tell first. Them. Drawn had so much exposition in that first. Yeah, yeah. They would basically look at the audience and explain things, and I hate when movies do that. Like they would look at the audience and be like, "Well, this computer program does this, 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 is this." And I love that the second one just shows you things, it doesn't tell you. It'll demonstrate rather than tell. I think that one major note about the story is you got to look at the time period it was released in, the mid to late two thousands is the gold mine for... I would argue that Tron Legacy is a darker film than the first one. 100%. Yeah, yeah. That is... The mid-2000s was the prime time for dark remakes of Legacy content. Yes. Like an example would be one of the... In 2003, a movie that kind of kicked off the... Taking a movie that was too tame for modern audiences. They remade Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 2003. And they made it gritty, they made it dark, they made it violent. And the original is not that violent. And so that kicked off this whole thing of we take a movie, we make it more gritty Let's and make dark, it more mature. And take a movie that is outdated. That seems dated. Like, Tron is very dated. Yes. It was dated when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> it was dated when it came out. So we take a movie that deserves a remake and remake it. Yes. They did that with all kinds of, of movies in that time period. Just remake things over and over. Especially 70s and 80s horror was remade to death in the mid-2000s. But Disney remaking Tron was interesting because this is before disney's trend of remaking old things live action. Yeah. They just recently started doing that. And I do seeing what they've put out now with like the remake of Beauty and the Beast and the remake mm-hmm. of The Lion King, that Lion King. I appreciate that this wasn't like a one for one. That Lion King was so bad, dude. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I didn't see it, actually. Oh, I mean, I already watched the animated one. I don't like the animated one that much. Oh, so. really? <laughs> no, so I'm not going to... Well, gonna... then you, you <laughs> might have a little bit of a bias. Yeah. But oh, I mean, I I already saw the animated one. Why am I, Why do I want to see the shot-for-shot shot mm-hmm. live action? And that's why making Tron a, a pseudo-reboot. Yes. A, re, as a, a new story, reboot, so new, yeah. new characters. New dynamics. Yes. I think that that's very interesting. The story plays a lot of beats that are very very unique i think that like i have written here everything is a reboot but in a good way um there's a little bit of exposition but it's so much less like if you watch these back to back you'll be like they don't tell you anything not yet. yeah you kind of um, you kind of figure things out for yourself some things are still i will say that some things are still you can tell that some people that worked on the first one had to have some way of writing this one because some things happen kind of convenient like when an example would be things happen really fast like the scene at the beginning where Sam wants to be like his dad and give out the MCOM operating system for free so there's an OS for all these operating systems and MCOM's like we charge for it and they're like but Kevin wouldn't charge for it and they're like well Kevin's not around because he disappeared years ago when I saw a son and then Kevin Flynn disappeared. And so Dillinger's son's like, we just have to charge people for it. And they're like, okay, well Sam decides to hack MCOM. So he hacks him and he puts the operating system on the market for free. And so as soon as they put the op- as soon as he does it, it puts it online for free. And then as soon as they do it, the people look behind him and there's a newscast that's saying the Dillinger operating system is out and it's free and it happened four seconds after. Yeah. Like, you know I have ton- the, tons of films. The Tron people do that. that. Yeah. <laughs> But it's just, it's just like, you can tell that everything in Tron happens weirdly fast. And things like that sometimes happen a little weirdly fast. And I'm like, they, the people that made the first one had the, definitely maybe didn't dip their toes into this movie. But they dipped a fingernail. You know, they had a little bit of an influence oh, in this movie. Goodness. Which is still great. But a little bit of an influence in that regard, especially. So I think, so touching on the story a little bit, just a tad bit of... Background: After the events of the first Tron, Flynn becomes CEO of Incom. Mm -hmm. He works in the grid. He's building that perfect system. Um, one night he goes into the grid, mysteriously disappears. Mm. Incom is taken over. Sam is left without a mother and a father. Mother previously died Mm. before the film started. He's offered control of the company. and won't take it. Yes. Uh, So, all right. So, flash forward. Sam is now an adult. Incom holds a business meeting at HQ. Uh, and the current CEO saying their last financial quarter's been great. You know, they're all about the money now. They're mm-hmm. not about making great programs. They're not about enriching people's lives through computers. They're it's it's all about the money. They're releasing the new operating system. That's not a plot to make right after the recession of two thousand eight. <laughs> I don't know what is. Honestly. It's all it's all about the money. So that's why Sam is so adamant about, you know, hacking in and releasing that operating system for free because that's what his father would have wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so, chain of events happen. We'll f- skip forward a little bit. Sam goes to the old arcade, finds the, the digitizer. Alan tells him to go. Yeah. Uh, finds the digitizer, gets, boom, gets sucked into the grid. The grid that his father and Clue we're working on which is now run down a uh, totalitarian it's yeah it's totalitarian Yeah, totalitarian, yeah. Totalitarian, totalitarian totalitarian uh very uh dystopian very mm-hmm. totalitarian very dystopian um very 1984 dystopian kind of situation yes yeah um and so in this uh you know, Sam is subjected to the game grid, just like his father was in the first film. That was a neat parallel. Mm. Um, and there's a, an, another neat parallel with the first film. Again, there's a lot of religious undertones. And Again, I think it, that right. I think in this one it's almost even a bit more prominent than the first one. Again, there's that whole creator-created dynamic. Especially since the antagonist is literally someone's reverse side. So oh, yeah, there's that whole creator-created dynamic. Um, and so Cora in the, in the grid, uh, she is an ISO program. Uh, and the ISOs aren't created by anybody. They just showed up. They manifested themselves in the computer. And they're just this, this miracles of code. Which I would argue that was a little weak. I, I was like, what? <laughs> like, of course. And and I was like, oh, the girl's gonna be an ISO. Like, I immediately said that. I uh-huh. he said because ISO. that's kind of like a twist. They yeah. they and don't I called really it a mile away. Yeah. Which and I get that the ISO that can add to the religious allegory too and all that. But I'm just kind of like, okay. Like, it just threw it in, and I was like. Like, you didn't get much development about the ISO, much about the ISO. Like, you see one ISO, and it's Cora, and that's it. Uh Uh-huh. They're just like, she's an ISO. They don't talk about why they're important, why they're useful. It's just, they're here, and that's neat. They're important, and they're useful, because they're DNA code. That DNA code, if Kevin would have extracted it, Mm -hmm. and taken it... Because, you know, because Kevin can go in and out of the portal. He can go from computer world to the human world. If he takes that code with him i mean cuz that he's like that dna code is the purest dna code because there is cuz they were born from the computer cuz they were they just manifested they're not of human creation is that a that's it, probably a religious reference to the death of purity and all that possibly probably um so if he takes that code outside of the computer then that's you know ideas philosophies would change um Diseases would be a thing of the past. Um, You know, new scientific theories would happen because of that pure code. So that's why Korra is is like an essential character. Um, Because Clue, in his chase for the perfect world, the perfect system, thinks that the ISOs are... Imperfect. they are the glitches of code or something, yeah. Uh huh. And so he he tries to wipe them all out. He tries to purge them all. And that's why it's significant that Cora is the last remaining one, in my opinion. Because her, if if she gets out, if that code gets out, then that's that's what Kevin has been working for his whole life. That's why he was in. That's why he was going back and forth in the computer. I I guess they explained that. I did not catch that in any aspect. <laughs> did I catch that? When did they say that? When did that escape somebody's mouth? So, he talks about it. So, Kevin Flynn is very, like, the dude. Very. In this film. It's literally played by the dude. I mean, it is. Jeff Bridges really hones in on the whole the dude aesthetic and and mood. When does he not, though? Uh, he didn't in the first one. I think <laughs> maybe the first Tron would have been better <laughs> if there was more the dude in the, it. That and Starman, starring Jeff Bridges, are the only two movies he is not the dude in. So when when Kevin when Kevin and Sam reunite, and he's talking about why he got trapped in the computer and what he was working for and achieving and they, in the computer. There's the scene that shows all the ISOs walk onto the scene. He, he, he yeah he talks about it with with that introduction of, of the ISOs. All I got from that... All I got from his whole thing he said was, hey, the ISOs came out and they're perfect and they're the miracle, so they're pretty awesome. But then, Clue wiped them out because he's a little jerk. Yeah. That's all I gathered from that. See, You just need to watch Tron like 10 more times. <laughs> watch if Tron you probably, it, you watch probably it, pick up on watch it, it like it, me. Watch it religiously and just get into it. Which, I think that the religious things in Tron are, like, good allegories, you know. People say mm-hmm. there's religious allegories in, like, Lord of the Rings and stuff, but I think the ones in Tron are interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I do. I love. And then, so Cora's main, like, thesis is she wants to remove herself from the equation. She mm-hmm. doesn't want to shift the game. She doesn't want to shift the code. She just... Wants to exist. She just wants to exist. She didn't ask to be this important piece of the puzzle. Um, and then there's the whole father-son dynamic between kevin and sam which i don't think they play on a lot because i don't know kevin was gone for all of sam's life and then like he they suddenly you know reunite in the computer and it's like oh it's okay i forget there's this scene where they talk on the bridge but that's we ask about his bicycle and stuff yeah he's like how are my parents they're dead oh (laughs) great how's my bicycle eh yeah, what kind of technology you got in the real world? Yeah, we got this thing called Wi-Fi. <laughs> that was so cringe. And he was like, I thought of that in 85. And I was like, oh my gosh.
1: Ice caps are melting. War in the Middle East.
0: Lakers-Celtics back at it. I don't know. Rich getting rich or poor getting poor. Cell phones, online dating, Wi-Fi. What's Wi-Fi? Wireless interlinking. A digital device? Yeah. I thought of that in 85. That was the one moment that was a little crazy. I mean, I do like the father-son dynamic, especially at the end. Their characters that, have good chemistry, I will say that. Yes. Um, but there wasn't a whole lot done with it, but still, I still think it's a... And there's so many more just little things. I could, prob- like, I could probably go on a whole two-hour podcast about Tron Legacy alone. I just think you know. it's great in just so many ways. There's so many little details One and thing things. that's way better about this than the first one is this kicks right off. There is not a big build-up. Because the build-up in Tron, while it's interesting, it's just like, okay, where are we taking this? Tron Legacy, it's like, it starts, Sam does his thing, he's in the grid. And it's great. It's a perfect pace for this movie. This movie has very good pacing. It never drags. Yes. It I never drags that. or repeats too many ideas. You know, it has one space battle. It has one main scene with the grid games. It has, it, it keeps everything fresh. Yes. Nothing yes. super super drags or anything. I think when the story is way less it's better, but it's way less complex and way less shoving information down your throat. It's just very organic about the way that it does it. Which yes. I think is 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 a fantastic way to handle it. And of course, we gotta talk about the thing. Now I will I will say this. I was spoiled for this movie shouts out to uh, Jamie Haram, my homie uh, shouts out to his father who when I was sitting on his porch told him that I was doing Tron and Tron Legacy and before I could say I haven't seen Tron Legacy he, his dad said yeah wasn't that awful when Jeff Bridges character dies and I was like yeah, that was a really oh, well. Difficult. You don't you. see, before you had seen it though, you didn't know that Jeff Bridges played like two characters in the film, so you wouldn't have known. But which the one second died. I saw old Jeff Bridges, I was like, <laughs> "He's gonna bite it," and I was just waiting for it. That ending is phenomenal, immaculate. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I mean, there's so much. I mean, there. It's all pretty much dialogue. It's not like there's fighting or a lot of. But it's still tense, I, and not like a lot of hand to hand combat or anything like that it, but Their it is it's very intense. It's they're shouting they're because they're at this portal back to the real world. Because the portal will close if they don't go to it in like and, 8 hours. And there's so much energy there that it just, it manifests itself on screen through like wind and, and smoke. smoke and it's very and so powerful. Yeah, there's a lot of the things going on that just elevate that moment um, it, to be the big climax and the the final, the final confrontation between Kevin Flynn oh. and Clue. Oh when my God! Clue is standing on the bridge. Wait, there's two Jeff Bridges and they're oh, on, on a the bridge. Br- <laughs> and it's great. How can that not be great? Two bridges on a bridge. Fantastic. Clue is there, and he says, "I did everything you ever asked for. I executed the plan." Mm-hmm. Kevin says, "Well, yeah." As you saw it when I was younger, Clue said you promised that we would change the world together, and you broke your promise. And Kevin says I know and I understand that now, but I didn't. Clue says I took the system to its maximum potential. I created the perfect system, and Kevin, with the final, with the final <laughs> blow, let's go. The thing about perfection that is that it's unknowable. It's impossible, but it's also right in front of us all the time. We know what perfection is, but we can't grasp it. And you wouldn't know that because I didn't know that when I created you. Wham! I mean that's like <laughs> that's, the alt, like that's, that's the, deeper than anything the first Tron could even muster. That's great. The, again, just that whole creator created thing. And then Clue such an awesome dynamic. And then Clue's plan is he's gonna jump in the portal and go to Earth to try to make Earth better. And he all wants this. Yeah, he wants to make Earth perfect. He, and he, so he tries to jump for that. And Kevin with all his power punches the ground and makes a shockwave punch and then knocks Clue off and he almost gets that portal Mm -hmm. and Sam is dad you gotta come with us to come back to the world there's so much stuff you've missed and Kevin's like I can't and Cora's like he can't this is what he has to do yeah and then he brings Clue into him and absorbs Clue and explodes and it is amazing yeah, so that was one of the things why uh, Sam asked. Well, why couldn't you just you created Clue? Why can't you just shut him down? And he said, Well, by doing that, because he's such a part of me, it would we would both have to die, die, be res. And he doesn't. And so you, Kevin sacrificed himself, and that ultimately, that energy when they when they reunite, it destroys the entire grid. So it destroys everything that Kevin had worked for. And everything that Clue had created to, mm-hmm. um, and and Clue uh, right before uh, right before they die, he says, "Why you know? Why are you doing this?" And Kevin says, "Because Sam is my, my son. son. Because he is my son. Because he's 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 like I thought you loved me and all this." And he's like, "Because he's my son." Another, it, inter- yeah. another another interesting story dynamic we didn't discuss that I think is neat is that. While the first Tron was just a start the story, beat the bad guy, this is, hey, the bad guy's trying to get Kevin's disc, and he's been hiding to prevent him from getting it. Because if he gets the disc, he'll know everything about the system. Yeah, that disc allows Kevin to go back and forth between computer and human world. That's why Clue wants it so much. So he can go to the human world and expand his power and reach and create the perfect system in the human world. And what's more imperfect than our world... Exactly. Like, you know, what, Another what, what religious allegory. Do? Like, what would he do mm-hmm. if he got to Earth, and you know what changes would he make? That's also a good allegory to have. The ISO that can be seen as a perfect thing because it wasn't created. Just like how humanity is imperfect, the ISO are seen as created by God, and God can't do anything imperfect. Mm-hmm. That's I yeah. like how that's seen. And yeah. I do, I do like how a lot of the religious stuff doesn't tie just to one religion. I think I think Tron, I think the first Tron is almost a bit more uh Christian-like mm-hmm. with the whole, you know, you have to denounce announce your the, faith yeah. or not, which I mean that could play into any faith, but mm, but it's um, mainly an allegory to a lot of kings in the Bible that made people denounce their faith like Daniel and Shadrach, sure, Meshach and stuff. And I think in this in Tron Legacy a lot more of the faith is built on this kind of Zen Buddhism. Nirvana type situation of perfection. So, but it's it just ah oh, great story beats. I love when I love when he blows up Zeus's club. That part's so fun. <laughs> what it's would you, great. what were you gonna give the story out of ten, Jonathan? I mean, I can't give it a ten. Yeah, because I it just I don't know. I can't. But it's pretty up there. It's pretty up there for me. I, I think, said eight. I think I'd give it a nine. Okay, so eight and a half. There's a, oh, I guess I'll I'll talk about that when we get to so we'll do eight. So now we got to talk about the art direction. I know you've got some things to say about this because Tapunky as art direction. Love that cool Their cameo is really fun in it too. Yeah, they make in it the appearance. club in Zeus's club in the club. I love their performances. In and it's that. perfect. I mean, it's such oh, yeah. a perfect cameo for them, you know, it mm-hmm. wasn't like shoehorned in, I think that was like, it's like they were meant to be mm-hmm. there, and it's cool um, yeah that really, uh Tron is a two hour music video <laughs> for Daft Punk <laughs> it is, I think that it's very interesting talking about the score which is something I was noticing it doesn't sound like a lot of their other music no, but it, it, it's more Takes on like a more, almost less dance quality and more, less EDM and more IDM. Like more of an intelligent dance music era. Yeah. More of stuff like your One of Tricks Point Never is your Apex Twin. More of the kind of ambient score setting music. Yeah. Uh, Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's a full out traditional score. Yeah. Just done by Defon. With synth elements. Whereas I think the first score it was not a traditional score by any it's a, sense. It's a adaptation. MIDI keyboard the whole movie. <laughs> that's really what it sounds like. <laughs> and that's not to discredit um Wendy Carlos who did the score for the first Tron. Mm-hmm. Um originally Walter and then gender changed to Wendy. I I think it's she's tra- he she transitioned. I'm not sure how to yeah, I don't uh, they I, I'm not I'm not up to date on the pronouns. Um <laughs> But, you know, so the composer, Carlos Tron, was a very influential uh, synthesizer composer um, in the 80s and 70s. Um, mm-hmm. Was really one of the pioneers with synthesizers. In score, and I think so. that's why uh, they were chosen for the Tron score. mm mm-hmm. um, but it was not a traditional film score. And I think Whereas, that's why even I found it kind of yeah. jarring and different. It's If I was sitting down to listen to an album by that person, I would probably think, oh, this is great, interesting. But watching a movie, it's got a flow of things. And I think Daft Punk's does. It's got your traditional, it's, yes, it is the traditional score, film score with even some orchestra instruments that are, of course, non... They're more artificial, which is... lends itself to this movie. I think... Just all the art direction about it. While while I think the art direction the first one is you know it's all this landmark. I think the art direction the second one's really good. It's just very the for very uniform. It keeps to the same. It's Tron, darker, more serious. I think that all kinds of stuff in it just meshes really well and really interestingly. Daft Punk's music is perfect for it. It's the more modern take on it's a. Well, electronic music in the 80s was a single keyboard. Electronic music now is this dance fusion, and Daft Punk's the hot people doing that, and so we'll put yeah. them up, up on it. And Which I'm glad they put Daft Punk as opposed to somebody that was only popular in like the 2010s or close to that. I'm glad they picked someone that's been, make, been making music since like the late 90s. Mm-hmm. That was a very, very good thing. I think, I like that they keep all the ship designs and everything of the old film, but they update it. Like yes. it's super neat when you see what's they're called again—the big TIE fire looking thing. The the recognizers. When you see the recognizers in the new one, like when when Sam gets transported to the grid and he looks up and there's that recognizer, like that is amazing. Like it's just such a good callback, but it doesn't look goofy. It looks serious. Like it looks, oh, this is like a serious deal that this recognizer is going to take me up. And all the costume changes, like they wear helmets. Like the bad guys wore helmets. That never happened. Mm-hmm. So you can see their faces. That never happened in the old one. All the different kinds of guards have different outfits, and it's just, the art direction, like, I bet there's a book somewhere that's the art of Tron Legacy that would blow my mind to just <laughs> look at. Like, I bet that would just wreck my whole world. So, fun fact about the world building of Tron Legacy, um, the director, uh, Joe, what's his name, Joseph Kosinski. really this was like his first film. This was his directorial debut. That's interesting. Tron Legacy was his directorial <laughs> debut. What a debut! Uh, yeah, uh, and then he went on to make um, Oblivion. Okay. With Tom Cruise. Okay. That's him too. Okay. I think I think a lot of the design parallels is, is are, in Oblivion as well. And Oblivion is kind of a hit or miss movie for some. I love Oblivion, probably <laughs> because I love Tron Legacy. Like I get it. I get what he's going for. You get Anyways. It. Um, He hired architects to be, like, the visual designers. So that's why so much of that world has, like, that symmetry and really looks like a designed world. It doesn't look like something just thrown together by, like, graphics artists or whatever. Like, there was a clear vision for what the grid needed to look like because there's no... There's no parallel to that in the real world. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. no... ref. Like, if you're, you're trying to recreate San Francisco digitally... You can do it. You can do but it because there's a parallel. Not there's an actual in, San Francisco you can reference. There's not even really any... Like, you can't say, well, all they had to do was redo the things in the first one. The first Tron just has squares that don't even have, like, edges usually. The only things they copied were the ships. Yeah. And they even made those look better. I think that's one of the reasons why the grid looks better in this film. Oh yeah, it's, it's not the same grid. It's original. This is the grid that Kevin Flynn, Clue, <laughs> and Tron were working together to build and design. It's not a 1982 grid. It's a 2010 grid. Yeah, like it's it's the updated. It's been in a totalitarian disarray, but it's it's beautiful yet dark. Yeah, like it's beautiful yet you can tell there's something sketchy going on. I think I think the art direction is is really good. While I think that the only reason I think that the first has such a good art direction is because it's impressive given what they could do, and while I think the art direction the new one is good, it didn't. *Tron Legacy* didn't break the mold with anything, if that makes sense. Like, no, no, but, but it's 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 great. What would you what would you give the art direction? So I know I said earlier I couldn't give like the story a ten. Yeah, but I I, I think I'd give the art direction a you ten. You give the art direction I a mean, ten. I think it's. I think it's one of the reasons why wow. I love to rewatch it. Because the I art. just love to be a part of that world. Okay, I get it's that. It's such a cool place with such a clear direction. Um, it's just like, I just love to watch and just, again, just be a part of that world. How many times have you uh, seen this movie, Joe? <laughs> probably close to, like, nine or ten times. <laughs> That's amazing. And probably each time has been because I've wanted to show somebody like, oh. how great Tron is, oh, and then, yeah. like, they don't get it. They hate the- me for it. I think, oh. I think I've think lo- i I probably lost friends. <laughs> because of this be- movie. Because of because of Tron. I'm trying to think of probably how many girls have made watched Tron Legacy they- with me, and I'm really glad that Lacey stuck with me. I think I asked her the other day if I had showed her this yet. Because um, I... I I can't remember if we watched it together. And if if she's listening to this, I'm really sorry if we have watched it together. But I think the reason we are probably still married is because I haven't subjected her to trauma legacy. Dude, think, I, I sometimes just pause and I think about my, my poor girlfriend, shouts out to Caitlin, that, like, the things within our first six months of dating, the things that I had her watch, like, you know, because there's that, there's that period in, like, the first few months of dating where if someone wants you to watch a movie, you know, you watch it. Yeah, to kind because, of get their taste in. Yeah, exactly. And and, and I was watching you know, stuff for her like Steel Magnolias, which is a great movie, and like Fried Green Tomatoes and good classic like chick flits like that that are great movies. And meanwhile, I'm like, hey, Friday the Thirteenth one through six. And she did the one of the first dates Have you watched uh, UHF yet? Oh yeah, that was like that was like for two months, dude. <laughs> dude, that movie is it. Now I've seen that ten times. I've seen that a hundred times, dude. I can quote that movie word for word. Yeah, I made her watch it. Uh, One of the first dates we had at her house is I brought over a VHS player and watched Carrie. I'll never forget that. Because she was like, I've always wanted to watch it. And I said, I have it on VHS. Let me bring it over. (laughs) Awesome. So that's, yeah. If you're into something like, Caitlin's having me watch every Disney movie under the sun. It's just, it's, it's good to have other people watch your movies. But it's good to have, like, I know that you've talked about how, which... I'll probably cut some of this but how Lacey's obsessed with Star Wars. Yeah. And so she's probably had you watch it like 10 times. So you said a 10 for the art direction. I'm, yes. I don't want to do this. I, I like the art direction a lot but I think I like the art direction of the first one better and I gave it a 7.5 so I have to give this a 7. I, it's good. That's fair. It's good. That's fair. I don't agree. I think yeah. I think it's way better than a 7 mm-hmm. obviously. And also keep in mind 10, I've like... seen it once. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't lived in the world of Tron I have stayed there for a, a weekend. At best, so I'll, yeah. So that means an eight point five, which is listen, guys. If you're if you're still listening, which thank you. This is, this movie's not going socks off the first one. The only way this movie could possibly lose to Tron is if we give the action like a negative four. So now we're going to talk about the action. Um, the action's better than the first because it's more dynamic. You've yeah. got you've have like pilot fights. Mm-hmm. you've got all kinds of stuff that's which that space battle at the end i mean that's pretty much that's a star that's another star wars rip yeah but the, again the whole movie isn't a star wars rip like the first one another thing i'm gonna say how they changed things up they could have kept the gate games exactly the same they could have kept light black the same Light bike. Instead mm-hmm. of doing like this, like doing uh, like instead this. of being like straight right angles. It's curves. Everything is now curves. Because I mean digital stuff back then was the eighties was limited. It was right angles. It was hard edges. Now everything is it's smooth. It's curves. You can you can go any direction you you want. And yeah. so everything's a lot more fluid. Everything is more fluid and things are a lot more creative. Like I love How they change like the disc battle in this movie? How it's everything's bouncing all over the place, and they—I love the—I love it. One of my favorite action sequences in this movie. I love the fight at Zeus's club. Like I love their Quinn, not Quinn. I say Quinn. Um, Cora and Sam are in the middle trying to because Zeus betrayed them, and so all the guards come out, all clues guards come out, and so they're fighting. While they're fighting, Zeus takes his cane and shoots a bunch of like missiles out. And the crowd, and so it's just like it's this wild action scene. Like you're almost fighting like a boss in a video game or something. Like you're taking out the guards, and then you fight Zeus. It's just neat. I think the action is far superior to the first because the first just had the game grid, and this has space mm-hmm. battles. This has all kinds of just nuts stuff. Yeah, there's a definitely a lot more combat. The I think the game grid is still one of the highlights for me though. Game this, this one's better than the game Grin the first one it is I mean, the I've... light bike sequence is so good all the different vehicles and all the ways they kind of expand it it's just super neat Tron Legacy is a good movie everybody it's great what do you give the action John uh, wh- what did I give the first Tron <laughs> did I give it a 6 you gave it a 6 and I gave it a 7 okay uh, I think for Tron Legacy I'd probably give it an 8 I'd give it an 8 for action as well the action's superb in this movie alright that means that means ladies and gentlemen that Tron Legacy has a score of 31 which means it beat Tron by almost 10 points which something that does not happen a lot is that the reboot sequel whatever is better than the original if you and like we do with the title is Tron Legacy a reheat or a repeat of Tron it is a reheat it reheats this formula so well this movie's great I probably will never watch Tron again, but I will probably rewatch Tron Legacy again. You need to. I'll probably pull a Jonathan to. and show my girlfriend. Tron Legacy. <laughs> That's probably the move. You, you need to. And she'll say it's over. <laughs> Don't blame me. <laughs> Don't blame me. The Jonathan Nicholson trip. Um, yeah, I think that... What are your thoughts, Jonathan? Are you happy with the result? Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I c- before, when I suggested the topic to you... You knew. I, I knew. I mean, I don't think there was any other way. I th- rewatching the first Tron surprised me a little bit. Um, I think I enjoyed it. Rewatching it for you know this episode um, than I have just watching it in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still such a just a tough <laughs> film. To it's watch. such a tough. You just got to get up and take a walk in the middle of it. I can't watch it in one sitting. But I watched Tron Legacy in one sitting without even checking my phone. Like, I was glued into that mm-hmm. movie. I was glued in. It's, it's great. It's. Tron Legacy is worth checking out. I and I think the, the whole essence of the original Tron is captured and done the way it was supposed to have been. Tron. I think, like, what they were trying to go for in the original film, I think, is what actually happened. I think Legacy, Legacy will age better than Tron did. Like, in the same amount of time, people will still think that Legacy is it looks good and has a good story and everything. Alright, so that's the ranking. Jonathan, anything you want to plug get out there? Anything you're involved in you want to shout out? Oh, uh, well, I guess last week he introduced me as the bassist for Runner of the Hearts. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, doing that, uh, we're just working, writing songs, uh, hey. trying to do some live streams during quarantine. Uh, this was shot or this was recorded during the 2019 covid 2019 t- 2020 this was recorded <laughs> this was recorded in the 2020 covid-19 Pan-teen. quarantine <laughs> which is nuts pandemic it's 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 getting a little better it is it's getting it is it's starting to get better but we'll we'll see how that goes but uh you know so pretty much all of our band related stuff is kind of off. Kind of just been taken off the table. You have a not by choice. You have but. an electronic music EP that I've listened to probably four times. I do. I, do. I think it's I, fun. I, I uh you can search Jonathan Nicholson on Spotify, <laughs> Apple Music, Crystal Eyes. It's a good one, Crystal Light, Crystal Light or Eyes, Crystal Light. Right, okay, Crystal L I T E, Crystal Light baby, five track EP. I put that out in 2017. It's a bobber. Definitely inspired by Daft Punk and the, <laughs> Tron Tron, and the Tron legacy. Amen. All right. So that's going to be it for this episode. Um, I think next week my girlfriend's going to make me watch all the high school musical movies. So that should be something interesting to discuss. Um, will I fall madly in love with Zegafron? Who knows? We'll find out next week. Which one do you think is going to be the reheat? Or the I've reheat? only seen the first one. I haven't seen the other two. She says the second one's the best. She loves that second one. And she thinks right. the third one's the worst, but she still likes it. All right. But the first one was good. I mean, I'd give it like a, probably like a seven and a half, maybe, or an eight. Like, it was a good movie. So maybe I'll like the other ones. All right, we'll see. We'll see. All right, tune in next week. Uh, I'm Josh Phillips. You can find me on Twitter at The Comic Kid. That's where you'll find out your reheat or repeat news. Also, if you've got any comments or concerns or questions, Shoot me an email at repeat at gmail.com. If you actually watched Tron Legacy after listening to this podcast, please let me know. <laughs> please tweet either me or Jonathan Nicholson on Twitter. Or tweet me and I'll tag Jonathan in it. At the Comic Kid. Tell us if you watched this movie. Tell us if you made it through Tron 1 without having to go get a drink of water. or <laughs> Or do anything. Because it's so bad. Alright. That's going to be it for this week's episode. We'll see you next week on Reheat or Repeat. Give it a try, give it a buy, give it a review from one to five. Let's
1: find out what sequels to see. Reheat or-